You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 network. Hello, folks. Thank you for listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. It's Nick Schwader here. I am guest hosting in today for our host, Brittany Martin. And thank you for taking the time to listen. I am really, really pleased today to welcome to the program. You might know him from the fantastic Landmark Go Rail series for his work with Hatchbox.io or my, one of my favorite podcasts, Remote Ruby. If you don't listen to it, you should, and dozens of other things. Uh, Chris Oliver, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me, Nick. I think that's my first time ever saying welcome to the program. I must have been listening to a serious radio show recently. <laughs> Welcome to the program. Um, so today with uh, Chris, I, you know, our format's been on lately, you know, we'll, we'll find out about the backstory about some of these folks in the Ruby community, but we're actually going to pick your brain and go into a subject. So this is the 2019 RailsConf episode, Rails 6, big, big year. And uh, Chris was there. And if you don't mind, Chris, we're just going to, you know, kind of take your brain for a little bit. So not all of us are able to be there and it sounded like a really exciting time. Yeah, it sounds good. It was definitely a lot of fun. So uh, this year it was it was in Minneapolis, wasn't it? That's uh, how, how was it getting up there in Minneapolis and have you been in that area before? Um, I've been up to Madison. I think I've been up to Minneapolis once before. Um, but yeah, it was a really, really nice city. It's kind of gloomy while we were there, just raining and stuff. But uh, it was a really, you know, clean and nice downtown area. We uh, drove up from St. Louis, so it was kind of a long, long drive. But I would definitely recommend flying next time. <laughs> That's crazy. I've done that drive uh, from Minneapolis to St. Louis. It, it's it takes a while, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's just it's just accessible, like really easy to get anywhere and all of that. So I definitely thought it was a good good location in portland for next year will be really awesome too oh man so so was that announced during the conference like towards the end or something yeah it was like the the closing notes after aaron patterson's uh keynote i think that's awesome i mean i've, I've been to portland have, have you ever been up that way or i flew in once because uh, i was going to um, bend for ruby on ales nice uh, and that was like that was pretty much flew into Portland, got a rental car, and left, and that was about it. But uh, I I want to go there, and I'm I'm looking forward to it next year to actually see Portland. I think I think it's a great choice, right? Because Portland Tech, uh, we always I you know I grew up near Missoula, Montana. We always call it Diet Portland because we were kind of, you know, Portland seemed like all the awesome things, but you know a bit more. Um, so I'm, I I gotta go. I was I was really sad I couldn't make it this year, but I had the best man a wedding, and no complaints. Definitely uh, the right thing. It's all right. Yeah. But all right. Now that I've done the very Nick American thing of talking about the city all over the place, um, <laughs> how I, I've had a look at the website. So they had a live stream, um, and for our viewers, was that Confreaks again? I don't know if you saw. Yep. And yep. Then, that was them. Okay, and then we'll have the partitioned videos out probably, yet, and we can link in the show when those come out, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know how long they take, but they're usually really fast. Cool. I mean, it's really nice that the the video is so good for that because I I haven't had a chance to go, right? And I think that's the case for a lot of people. So being able to see them happen. um, I mean, that was kind of my... my, Knowing that all these were going to be recorded, I ended up spending a lot of time just talking with people instead of going to talks. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's right. So it's Tuesday, Tuesday, Thursday, you'd have your keynote sandwich kind of thing going on. And it seemed that for every slot of which there's what, about a half a dozen, you'd have almost another half a dozen, seven things going on. And if I know anything about conferences, if you're meeting people, you, you can't go to everything. I'd, I'd love to ask you about some of what you were able to see. Um, did you catch, like, for example, David's keynote um, at the beginning? Yeah, that one was really good. I thought I, I thought it was interesting that like it's it's fun to watch, I guess, the keynotes over the years that he's given and see them kind of become more and more mature every year. Yeah. Which is fun to see. 
and it, it, someone just posted, tweeted uh, a picture of the RailsConf 2006 uh, schedule back in the day, and uh, you know he was he gave a keynote then, and so did Paul Graham, I guess, which was pretty neat. Wow. And um, yeah, his keynote this year was about like kind of about burnout and like why we're doing this stuff, like why you're working on open source. And there's a lot of these, a lot of these things of open source projects now trying to compete with paid products. And like, he's not, you know, like we have to do marketing for rails. Otherwise it, you know, everyone talks crap about it and whatever. And it's like a strange thing as things, you know, have moved on over the years where, we now have to like, you know, compete with other stuff. And he was talking a lot about that and just doing like the reasons why we do this. We're doing it for fun and just because we want to see it exist in the world. And it's not so much because we're like trying to get all these users and all that and, and whatever. And, um, you know, all the, a lot of things going like, well, we have to get, how do we get, you know, money or whatever to support these things and it was a good talk um i really enjoyed it and it was kind of like addressing like what happens when you're burnt out working on something like rails or whatever and you know how how do you make that something sustainable um i thought so it was really good was the burnout kind of focused on open source burnout for maintainers and yeah, I mean, he briefly kind of talked about some some burnout that he had um, with working on Rails and stuff, which you can imagine. It's And I think that's why you tend to see Rails typically just extracting features from Basecamp or GitHub or Shopify or something like that, where they're just not necessarily what does the community need, but what are things we are working on that the community could take advantage of and would be, would be helpful. Um, so they're, you know, building rails with that kind of mindset that makes it more sustainable. Like I've had to do the same thing with the go rail screencast. Like if I'm always just trying to come up with whatever people want to see right now, if it's not practical for me, then I get burnout pretty fast. But if I'm building other features for another app and I can make a screencast out of it as well. It's really easy for me to do that and a lot more fun. Um, so he had kind of talked about that. And I know we had um, on Remote Ruby talked to Eileen about her extracting the like multiple database support from GitHub and some other things she had in mind uh, in the future. And that definitely, I think, was, you know, a really important piece to that because, yeah, I, you're working on Rails or whatever for. I don't know how many years and eventually you're going to get tired of that or like not know what to add next and so on. So yeah, I thought it was a great keynote. Uh, obviously I haven't seen this, but having the practical usage, um, everyday usage of things be the breeding ground of um, what, what gets put in with anything really, but also with rails, you know, you end up getting features that, you know, run on GitHub and Shopify things that are infinitely more, complex and tricky than I'll ever build. Um, but also in, because there is that risk that if we build things that we think people want, they may not actually be useful as useful in every day, but these things will be tested if they're coming out of base camp. Um, right. Yeah. That's a great point too. It's just like, uh, you know, a proof of concept that though they had to build it for their business, then it's probably, you know, pretty valuable uh, in some way. So. Yeah, and I don't think it's intrusive, right? So I'll give an example. So multiple databases. There may be a lot of Rails developers who will not get to enjoy that feature. However, it doesn't obtrude, or, uh, impede their ability to do what they got to do. But mm-hmm. if they ever come to that problem where they need multiple database support for scaling or something, the support's there, right? So it's kind of a, a win, no-lose situation with some of these enhancements coming in. Yeah, and it's like... Uh, there's there's not only in rails but ruby itself is kind of in this like mode of thinking about how it can be more performant i guess like how how it can support larger things and so you see that with rails um aaron patterson's keynote at the end was talking about um like 
pre-compiling your ERB templates, um, which it sounds awesome, but it's very, very complicated. And he, he did a wonderful job of like breaking it down to just like, okay, your imagine your ERB template is just every line of that is building out a string and then calling those methods as if it's just evaluating Ruby code. Um, and he talked a little bit about, you know, predicting the formats and these other things that cause basically it not to be possible to do some of the, the pre-compiling because you don't really know until it runs. Um, like you're, if you have a partial with various different arguments that some are used sometimes and others are used never um, or whatever, like in, in different cases, then it, it might have to compile that partial like five different ways instead of just once or whatever. So, so like we're seeing performance things in Rails. He's always working on that. We're seeing Ruby three by three, um, Ruby two seven. Takashi uh, talked about the 2.7 JIT, which are some uh, improvements over the 2.6 JIT, which didn't yep. really improve Rails performance, made it slower. Um, and then there was the, like, we talked with uh, Chris Seaton about uh, Truffle Ruby and all its, like, crazy performance things that they're doing, which is kind of insane. Um, and so it feels like the whole community, Ruby and Rails, pushing in a direction of, like, how to make things faster. And I know that there's some other cool things on the, on the radar with um, TurboLink 6 and... Mm. Uh, stimulus things coming up in the hopefully near future but there's yeah it's kind of cool to see like the the communities pushing into that direction of speed which is often the complaint of you know people using rails and moving on to elixir or something like that oscon has been ground zero to find out what you need to be in the know about the open source community for 20 years because software development now is essentially open source, we've expanded the OzCon program focus to examine what is driving software development forward today. Unlike other conferences, we cover open source projects, no matter their origin or affiliation. Our program solely focuses on projects in areas of innovation, including AI, infrastructure, blockchain, edge computing, architecture, and emerging languages. You'll hear from industry heavyweights like Holden Corral from Google, Rupert Deshere from CodeChicks, Julian Simon from AWS, and Allison McCauley from Unblock Future. You'll have a chance to network with experts and peers at many of the events OzCon offers, including author book signings, speed networking, Ignite OzCon, and our Better Together Diversity Networking Lunch. Prices start at just $9.25 when you register before April 19th. Listeners to the Ruby on Rails podcast can get 25% off most passes to OzCon when you go to OzCon.com slash Ruby and use the code Ruby20 during registration. Thank you to OzCon for sponsoring the show. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, if I ever go into those uh, poisonous realms of programming land, uh, how much speed comes up. Um, but in practical real life land, um, how rarely it's ever the language uh, <laughs> yeah. is an issue. Um, I've almost had to like, like, I'll be honest, this last year, the mute feature on Twitter has really improved quality of life <laughs> because of that and just not going to Hacker News, I'm afraid. It's uh, no offense to Hacker oh, News, but yeah. it's just there. I'm, I'm, I'm in an echo chamber of lovely Ruby people, and that's the one echo chamber that I'm happy to stay in. But uh, you said about Seton with Truffle Ruby. Did, did you have them on? Did you have them on remote? Ruby? Yeah, we did. Um, That's where I've heard it then, didn't I? Because the backstory on Truffle Ruby is insane, isn't it? It's really cool. Yeah, and it's, I mean, there's the sort of, it's all Oracle backed, so they yep. might pull the plug in any time or whatever, but they seem to be, you know, investing more and more resources in it, which is really cool. But yeah, it was. I mean, they are talking about performance improvements for Ruby itself that are like, you know, 10x or whatever, and it's starting to work. I know it can fully support Sidekick now, I guess, and so potentially, you know, Ruby 3x3 may come out um, and be three times faster, but, you know, Truffle Ruby might be even faster than that, so you might see a lot of people move towards Truffle Ruby, and I guess maybe their business model to make this sustainable for Oracle is 
to maybe offer like another Ruby Enterprise Edition kind of thing, yeah. which I remember vaguely back when I started Rails, there was that Ruby Enterprise Edition that everyone liked to use in in production. So, um, you know, who who knows? Maybe that might be something that uh, changes here in the future when that gets more stable. But now, does Truffle Ruby use opt caret to benchmark as well? You know, I'm not sure. Um, I don't quite think so. I, it may be one of the benchmarks, but I know that they... Um, well, theirs is like so crazy anyways, because you can call... He was telling us you could call like Python, Python libraries yeah. directly from <laughs> Ruby. Right. And I was like, what? <laughs> so presumably it's not just OptiCaret kind of things. And I know they've been um, heavily influenced by like we, we want to make sure that it runs well with rails um so i'm not really sure uh what they use for bench benchmarks but that was i mean i, I think that's everybody's like current complaint if you're a rails user that opt is a cpu intensive um benchmark whereas right. rails is like very ram intensive and things like that that won't necessarily like we saw in Ruby two six. It doesn't necessarily improve the um, Rails performance yet, and it's just kind of a different um, benchmark to go after. So hopefully, we'll see a lot more of that stuff in in two seven and three. But I, I didn't get a chance to watch the the talk on the two seven JIT. But that was one of the ones where I was like, I'm definitely watching that as soon as they publish it. Yeah, and and. I mean, I have almost this pragmatic like thought. If my app is slow, it is almost absolutely certainly my fault. And if I want it to be faster, it's <laughs> yeah. within my realm. Like I think I could be using Ruby from you know many versions ago, and it, that would almost be the case. It's like Nick, you're just doing too many requests. You have too much code running. It's poorly organized. The business logic logic is poor. That'll be like ninety eight percent, right? Like. The Ruby's run, the amount of time for Ruby to run could be a thousand times faster and I might still be slow, right? Because yeah. it's other things happening in the database or something, but. Yeah, um, and it's, I mean, Rails is kind of, uh, active record especially is like one of those strange things where because the stuff is lazily executed, you don't really know exactly when you're, um, your query is run you like do the query in your controller you think but it doesn't get run until whenever the view is like hey we need your data um and so there's like yeah there's a lot of times where you're like i need to actually stop and benchmark things and and this is always something that i forget we we some someone brought this up that i was talking to at RailsConf and like we always hear the like N plus one is bad um, and you should avoid it at all costs. But there was that one time where DHH was talking about, maybe this was with Nate Berkepec that we were talking and he mentioned this, I think where DHH one time in one of those videos said like N plus one is actually a feature. Like if you were using Russian doll caching, if you have a to-do list, or, you know, like a Trello board, every card you can fragment cache, but then you can fragment cache the entire list as well. And then you could fragment cache the entire board of lists. And then if you bust, you know, you add maybe a new one or edit one, then you can bust the individual cache and then the parent caches and so on. And then you're doing that and loading only a single record instead of, the whole set of cards again for rendering the the new version of the cache. And it's like, in that case, N plus one is actually incredibly valuable if you were using that. And it's like an easy thing for people to overlook because Rails is pretty good at kind of uh, hiding away some of that complexity where you're really coding at a higher level, but you have to be aware of the lower level and the internals of like how active record is going to, treat things and that makes performance pretty pretty tough to do well yourself unless you kind yeah. of understand the internals of what's happening yeah I, I hear you you know i had an issue a year or two ago where i had to disable you know you know bullet um, oh yeah yeah for, because i had a, a situation where i was heavily russian doll caching and um I, I don't know, nothing would change or a very, very, very tiny individual thing would change. And I was loading so much stuff. 
um, that I wasn't getting the performance I knew I deserved. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, I, I, unfortunately that happened before I heard him make that statement. Cause I was, I was definitely sure I was doing something wrong. Cause I'm like, bullets popular. <laughs> it's telling me my queries are wrong. Um, darn, you know, something, something's not, Oh, um, also made a note. Um, our, our users may not know, uh, opt carrot. If I have it right, that's a Nintendo emulator in yeah. Ruby, right? Yep. And, it, and it runs, uh, you can run it on your machine. Now I've done it for fun different Ruby versions and it'll give you frames per second. And there's a certain goal they're trying to hit, but that's how they test it. That's the, the setup. I yeah. That's I their benchmark for Ruby three by three performance wise, at least, which like an emulator is just translating like CPU calls um, as fast as possible. So that's, that's not one that's going to be very memory intensive, like, like rails where you're, like every request you do a little bit of processing, but most of the time you're building up, you know, all of these query uh, uh, results in your database as active record models in memory. And then you're taking those and converting them to HTML in memory and then sending that back out. So you're doing a lot of, you know, memory usage in, in the case of Rails compared to what OptiCarrot is doing. Uh, you know, I was, this reminded me of something, but I, I was really surprised that there was almost no discussion about action text and action mailbox. Yeah. Could you um, talk about that? Cause like I saw your tweet and I, I so what, what was going on with that? I'm interested. I, I'm not really sure, but like, you know, these are two fairly big features of Rails 6 that are coming out. Um, you know, there, a lot of the other stuff is kind of like under behind the scenes things of like multiple database support you know that's kind of hopefully transparent for the most part to your app but the new features wise like action text is uh for anybody that doesn't know like when you build comment boxes or whatever in your application um like on github or you can at mention someone's username or you could hashtag mention a uh, issue or a pull request or even like a git commit um, that is stuff that you have to like you know build yourself and they're doing that in markdown and and that's like a thing that you can go do but um, one of the problems when you build out that stuff like say in markdown is if you reference an, a username and the user changes their username if you just stored that hard-coded username in your markdown in your database record um, then it's going to break in the future if that user changes their username so one of the things that action text does is this rich text functionality that um, allows you to use the Rails global ID um, stuff to actually reference a user. So it's a little tricky to set up um, because you have to go hit the Rails app and retrieve a global ID when you embed like a username or a pull request or hashtag or whatever you're doing. Um, but it does allow you, so it strips it out and minimizes the like data you're storing and just leaves an empty tag with a global ID. So when you render it, it will load up that associated record, whether it's a user, a pull request, issue, whatever you have. And then it will render a partial to display it. And it does the same when you're editing inside of tricks. So it's pretty cool. And it's like one of those new features of Rails that like, I don't know, every app uses these days. So I, I really like the idea of having this built into Rails. And I think more sh people should be talking about it. Um, and it's just, there's not a whole lot of information on it yet. And so I feel like the rails guides don't have any information on embedding, uh, models into your rich text with action text. Um, and I've been like one of the few people that have posted like a screencast on how to do that, but I actually had to go ask, um, George from Basecamp on how to build that, that feature. Cause I was diving into it and was like, Oh, there's a lot more here to this. Um, and you know, I didn't really see hardly any conversation about that. You know, usually you would see at a rails conf, especially like here's all the new rails features. Um, and it tends to get overlooked. And it, the other one action mailbox is very similar. Um, this one I can kind of understand a little bit less excitement about because, uh, was it ThoughtBot had built Griddler, um, which processes inbound emails to your app. So if you want to make it so you can reply by email 
to something, um, it's pretty easy to do that. And it's been easy to do that with, uh, with Griddler, but it's nice to have it built in the framework. And then you get kind of the, the community as a whole, um, adding bug fixes and features to it, which is kind of the goal of active storage as well. But, um, yeah, neither one of those seem to get much attention and I've been kind of surprised by that. Yeah. So also kind of circling into that, are they, cause I, I didn't, I'm sorry, this is going to sound horrible as a, as a professional Rubyist. Did they announce Rails 6 officially during the No, conference? they did um, not. Um, cause I just, I just pulled up while you were talking, I pulled up Ruby gems and I don't see it. So, so what's the story there? Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. I know there's been I mean, there's been some big changes under the hood. So there was like Rails six RC one came out just before the conference, um, and potentially, you know, there's they they, they didn't have enough time because I think they usually try and give it a month or something, you know, fairly long for people to go test this out in production. But in theory, if there aren't any major issues with RC one, that becomes the release. Um, so depends on what they find out, but things like Zite work under the hood, um, redoing all the auto loading and multiple database support had to touch a ton of the database internals. There's been a lot, um, that's happened. And so they weren't necessarily just adding features that were easy to launch. Um, with all that stuff under the hood, there's probably been a ton of bugs to that kind of cropped up over the the time so they've been behind for sure and i'm i'm guessing that rail six comes out in the next couple weeks or something unless there's more regressions but uh i think for the most part some of the new features are are fine but it's it's more of the like zite work level things that are um the ones just kind of like oh you know people are discovering that this gem doesn't work with it or whatever and they, they just have probably more bug fixes to do than expected yeah, I guess my, my original uh, feeling on that would be a bit of frustration because obviously there's something fun. There's not many, it's not often you get a major version and it's the thing is to launch it at, you know, five did, right? Um, at RailsCon. So yeah, that's right. That's what I'm trying to say. <clears throat> um, and I haven't pulled up recently their like milestone for Rails 6, but it's a pretty good, it looks like there's only two open issues okay. right now with it. And one of them is a database thing. A regression on that and then um one is a site work issue as well so i th i think those were the kind of two major things that they were I i'm guessing um that those are kind of the major things that they're like holding out on um and, and it just comes up like i i don't know what their time span generally is but i would imagine they would give each rc like a couple weeks and then if they found anything major maybe release another RC with those fixes and try it again. And then once it's pretty stable or, you know, no bug reports, then probably cut the final release. So we should see it really soon. But yeah, it would have been really great to be able to launch that officially at RailsConf. Yeah, exactly. And um, I'm sure that, that they wanted to release it, but they've, they've got to get these together. But at the risk of going a little too nerdy, I'm aware, um, I'm not a big core contributor. I've done a... a a small like one or two commits but um i know that there's a lot of my favorite rails magic is around auto loading and what you're saying there about overhauling auto loading and site work um were, were there a bunch of changes done to auto loading for this major release um yeah the entire auto loader has been replaced with site work which is the new um, auto loader and I'm not really sure how it all works um, but it's pretty awesome I didn't get a chance to talk with um, what's his name from Zitework I did see him at the conference um, but yeah I, I think what was it the, the major big improvement was trying to make auto loading thread safe um, and I think that was the really tough problem to solve and just wasn't making any progress on that with the original stuff so um, that should be really good. I know I've like ran into auto loading issues with Sidekick before and just they were really hard to figure out what was going on because my jobs would like hang forever. And I, there was hard, it was hardly any place to figure out, you know, what actually 
was causing that. It would just hang and there was no output and stuff. And, and getting a deadlock like that is like really frustrating. Um, so I think that's been kind of the, the big uh, improvement there. So it should be better. It seems to be working really good. And I, I really haven't had any issues with it. But he's making super fast progress on it. Um, and it doesn't look like it's too complicated. I just have no idea how it works internally. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm excited to see that come about. I think, you know, if you ever want to realize how much auto-loading magic we, we enjoy as Rails developers, just try and build something, you know, moderately complex in pure Ruby, and you realize really fast that the auto-loader does a lot of really cool things for you that you don't even have to think about. Yeah, and especially, like, the reloading of stuff in development and all of that is just... It's really cool, so uh, huge props to him for doing all this work to improve that. It should make you know a big difference, but of course, like a lot of these changes, if they're under the hood, they they probably don't get as much appreciation as they really should. It's, I never knew that documentation could be such a stressful commit because um, it's not it's not the same as API docs, is it? Because Rails guides, like everybody would use, like month number mm -hmm. one Rails people would use it. So anyway, yeah, that, that'll yeah. supposedly come out with Rails 6 as well. Oh, cool. Yeah, thanks for doing that. That's, uh, that's definitely something that I've been, you know, when that came out and TurboLinks and all that, um, I was always surprised that like to, because TurboLinks for iOS and Android require you to submit all forms with, uh, well, they don't really require you, but by default, they they highly encourage you to submit forms with Ajax. Um, and I was always like, well, then why are the Rails scaffolds with the form with have local is true on where they disable the Ajax submits? And um, we actually got talking to Sam Stevenson right before the ending keynote, and he was talking about a little bit about that. So they were working on solving that problem and so in the future maybe rails 6.1 or something will have this functionality built in so that you know we can maybe have um all the forms submit with ajax by default and then you could just drop into a ios or android app really easily and just have your rails app kind of just work which would be really cool because when form with came out i was like well why you know, why isn't that default like submitting by Ajax? And I always thought that was kind of strange, but it's a it's a more complicated problem than it seems um, because the error handling, um, you need to work kind of reliably in all cases. And that was the, um, the, the big struggle, I guess, and kind of has been a strange thing with Rails anyways, when you submit to like uh, slash users or something and and then the error renders on slash users, not users slash new. Um, so the URLs are kind of strange and stuff. And I guess they're going to maybe be changing that over to a redirect for the error case as well. Um, which will be interesting because it's going to have to persist those uh, fields and things over. So that's why it's kind of a tough problem. But they are working on it, which is super exciting. Because I think a lot of people are still using FormWith, which is a shame because I think it like I'm, I'm all over all the new stuff, right? Rails credentials, uh, form with, mm -hmm. but anyway, um, so you you know, with form with, if you wanted to do an Ajax, you do remote true. And then I think as rails five, two, you had this, if you just did the upgrade, um, now it was default remote true. And then if you didn't want to do it, it was local true. So are you saying that, um, cause I haven't scaffolded a view in a while. If I just scaffold some views, uh, with form with, it would, spit out a uh, local truth yep yep okay. so that that should be maybe something it's easier to implement right just not have the the fancy lovely ajax life that's really cool but yeah so hopefully that's something that improves um in the next release or whatever but it shouldn't be too bad um once they figure out the turbolink stuff but that that will make turbolinks a whole lot smoother i think um because the real problem was like on mobile, you don't want it to lose all your styles in JavaScript and have to re-download it every time you submit a form. Yeah. So you almost have to submit as Ajax if you're going to be using the TurboLinks adapters 
and that was you know the the it, it's just a lot more involved and they they took the shortcut of let's just launch it without that feature um but i think everybody was kind of like well it feels half finished without that um and so hopefully this is going to make it in and then be a lot easier and especially with the way that stimulus works um it takes care of a lot of the turbolinks issues that we had you know um reloading libraries and disabling them on page views and all that uh that hopefully is all coming together finally and i've been using stimulus quite a lot more lately and it, I, I don't even feel the need to like reach for view or react anymore i can do so much with stimulus and it just is it, it just feels like so much fewer lines of code and i don't have to worry about you know, syncing data back and forth in the view and with the Rails app. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so kind of to, to put a big note on that, I just, I'd, I'd have to agree with you. I'd like to give a big shout out. <clears throat> this major release, Action Text and Action Mailbox are are pretty awesome. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm sure that people who are listening to this have, are fully clued up on it. But I mean, even on 5.2, you know, it's form with and, Active storage come out. We we as soon as we can we change over, and we've done the same thing with Action Text and soon to be at my company with Action Mailbox. Um, I think because I, I don't want to say it because I think it's a good feature. There was a tiny light amount of controversy with um, Action Cable with five. Um, just a little like not everybody was jumping and celebrating, um, but it was needed. But I think with Action Text and Action Mailbox, it's been really positive that I've heard from. For professional Rubyists, right? Um, so pretty pleased to have those included into the framework. Yeah, yeah, I think they've been kind of like, I don't know, features that you would have to go to a third-party library for, and it just is so common that it's just nice to have it built in that you can get bug fixes and maintenance and stuff from everyone and uh, not, I mean, the as we move on, a lot of the gem maintainers tend to move on too, and, and it's kind of been interesting to see some of the things stagnate, but also some of them just get to a point where, like, with Devise, there's not really that much development they need to do. You know, they need to fix, you know, security bugs or whatever. More docs is always good, but not a whole lot of new features need to be added to something like that, so... It's the whole community is really maturing a lot, which is really awesome to see. Absolutely. And um, it's just one of those things. Whenever I talk to people who do what we do, you know, web development, but with different technology, they'll be struggling with questions that I've never thought of. And I guess that's touching on David's uh, keynote last year about conceptual compression, right? We have solved problems, um, gems that are done, uh, parts of our framework that are done, that people have to think about with every app they do that we kind of never have to think about which is yeah awesome. yeah and i feel like that was a perfect example of why like action text is so cool it's like you could and i've done this before you know like oh i'm a developer i like markdown um and i want to have you know linked usernames well html pipeline or another library like that could you go do it you could build it yourself it's not that hard but um, their approach was really nice because I didn't even think about, you know, if a user changes their username, well, you're going to need to be able to update that or just keep it in in the history or something of like, here's the user's old usernames, which might be mentioned in comments. And we need to be able to, you know, check that and then go render the correct new username or just like have a dead link or something. So it's it's cool to see that feature built in because now it's going to be a whole lot more um, dynamic and just kind of solved, uh, I guess, in the general case, which is cool. And and like, it was a, it's been interesting for me to see too. Like, typically we saw file uploading and things like this where you add, um, you add like the columns to your models directly but then active storage and action text and things are adding a generic database table that is caught there's basically polymorphic but they're also kind of using like uh you know sign global ids and things like that um as 
another way of looking things up, which is pretty cool. So it's like a you know, generic way of referencing models um, with the global ID stuff, which I haven't personally used a whole lot in my own code, but it's making me realize like maybe I should. This seems really <laughs> useful for a lot of situations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and before I forget, just generally, because um, I, I know you're you're talking with folks. Were there were there any other talks that you're able to see that uh, we haven't covered yet, or that, that that kind of just jumped out at you, or, or that, that you'd um, like to go on, go talk about? I really didn't go to many talks. I think the yeah. other couple ones that I went to were um, there's a guy from St. Louis uh, here as well. Craig Buchek that he talked about um, like a repository pattern for active records. So kind of like a, a Phoenix and Elixir having this, it's not like active record and you have these change sets and it's kind of more immutable stuff. Um, he has kind of been working on this approach that merges the two because there's a lot of really good convenient things about active record. And then there's also some interesting ideas in the repository pattern. And so he's kind of exploring, you know, doing both of those together. And then uh, I think the other one I went to was Colleen's talk on migrating to active storage, um, which is a good one too. There's like, you know, the paperclip and carrier wave and all these gems have taken quite a different approach than active storage and active storage even has like a, like a security or I guess maybe not security, but like a privacy focus. So when it uploads things to your S3 bucket, it doesn't store the file names or the database record IDs or anything in the folder names. So you can't just like find files, which is a good thing uh, for privacy, but it is also another complexity of migrating to it it's not going to work the same way and be as easy to upgrade to from something else which you probably are familiar with yeah definitely but um well i'm, I'm glad that it that it's it, uh went well overall i i will have to say i'm gonna do a little selfish thing here and do a little shout out um so despite the accent, you, you guys can tell I'm American, but I do live in the wet, deep West Country of England. We did have two speakers uh, from the West Country Ruby community, which is, I got to say, there's not as many Rubyists in uh, the UK as there are in America per square mile. Um, but Carl Entwistle, I don't know if you saw him on the list. He did a Ruby home um, talk on using Ruby with uh, IoT devices. I don't know. Ooh, that's what, cool. Yeah, so it's kind of, it's not like, because there's a scale with it, you know, the extreme scale for me would be like integrating with Arduino and building my own things, right? And then the other side is actually buying things that work off the shelf. But I think his was, he didn't want to have 10 different apps to use things on HomeKit. So he's used Ruby to be able to get apps that weren't originally HomeKit compatible and make them HomeKit compatible. <laughs> That's uh, cool. It is so much more technical than I feel I'm, like, have you ever just listened to someone speak about something and feel instantly outclassed, like within two <laughs> yeah. minutes? Yeah. Um, Carl's very, very wise, and he, and he dove into this for uh, personal stuff. But also, um, Lewis Buckley, so uh, CookPad's global headquarters is here in the West Country. Um, is, and you don't, I don't know if you hear him much in America, but you probably know with Japan and whatnot, they're a pretty large company that, that runs on rails. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, they're both, uh, Rubyist that spoke. So Lewis Buckley, I believe did a lightning talk in Carl and Twistle. Uh, but yeah, you can, I'm sure you'll watch that later, but Ruby for, uh, running IOT devices is kind of a really neat and, uh, practical use case. Um, and then finally you said, you mentioned something I, I sent you a link while we were talking, um, about RailsConf 2006 and I have pulled it up. And I just had a quick look when you're talking about 10 minutes ago and I, for, for, we'll put in the show notes, but I have to say for the listeners, this is, this is crazy. We've got, um, so put yourself in 2006 Ruby on rails. Now I don't know how many of us were, I was 2014 when I got into this game, which is actually a while ago. That's five years. Wow. So we have Dave Thomas, Chad Fowler, 
Um, we've got uh, Martin Fowler, of course, as well. Uh, David, yeah. uh, giving a keynote. But, Paul, I mean, Paul for me... Graham. Yeah. Uh, Paul Graham. Yep, that's right. But then I forgot why the Lucky Stiff performed them with, with the yeah. first two cups. And there is, there is like one YouTube video, uh, uh, personal video of why performing. And I... Do you know what? I've that's a that's a thing with me. I I would like to do an episode someday just talking about why with a few people. See, um, I joined after he had left same. the community, so I never really got to see a whole lot of the stuff that he did, but just heard, you know, all these stories about him. And yeah, it's yeah, I would love to hear that because there was just so much like kind of mystery around him, but just yep. appreciation and everything for all the stuff that he brought to the community. So that, that sounds awesome. Yeah. I'll just sit up at night because a lot of, you know, it really got destroyed in 2009, but like, um, I was at the Wayback machine or archives, um, for some of these blogs and just go through and read. And he was given, he's making fun of DHH like 15 <laughs> years ago, like, he's doing, but like in a nice way, like they had a little banter back and they were interviewing each other. And it is such a magical world with all these names and it's, I feel I have this pain in my heart that I kind of missed on this. I feel like I, I love Ruby, but there's this slight era of like lore with all these people around. In RailsConf 2006, definitely you can see that there, can't you? So we'll we'll, we'll share that image. I'm really glad that uh, somebody put that up on Twitter. Um, yeah, it was to kind like of compare then to now. Yeah, it feels like just you know peering into history for a minute. It's pretty cool. It does. And also, okay, so not talking about the names, the last thing I promise I'll say on this, if you look at some of the talks, Ajax on Rails, 2006. <laughs> I, yeah. There's a few Ajax talks. So when everybody, whenever people try to say that we're all about these server reloads and you know refreshing and that, that we are running away from JavaScript, actually, Rails has been quite progressive and the community has with embracing um, this So, so since well right. before my time. So. Right. I also, I also thought it was funny. There's just a Rails deployment talk, which was a sign of the times, I'm sure. I'm not sure when... Uh, when did Heroku originally come out? Well, this is it. So uh, things that you and I and everybody getting into this, I take for granted um, GitHub. Actually, I my one Ruby Gems pull request was, was on getting rid of Ruby Forge. Um, oh, yeah. Because Ruby Forge was that. in Ruby Gems. Like if you wrote a Ruby Gem... There was an attribute for Ruby Forge, um, but you know that's. I thought it was low hanging fruit, but it's kind of tricky getting that out of Ruby Gems because Ruby Gems is, you know, it's the where you get your gems, so it's, it's a bit funny. But um, mm -hmm. but yeah, yeah so there was GitHub. We take for, or having a, a nice sustainable place for your code. You take that for granted. Deploying right. Um, Roku looks like it was founded two thousand seven. So whoa. after after this RailsConf. So no wonder there was like a Rails deployment. So I, I'm curious to see, you know, RailsConf 2007, probably several Heroku things on there if if they came out in time before that. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, this was like back when there was no bundler either. And I remember yeah. like the first Rails app that I used, it just had like um, config.gems or something. And, and there was like no version numbers. So it took me forever to figure out that, you know, one of my coworkers was using a, an older version of a gem and we had to use the older version and it wasn't in the, in the file to use. And so he was like, Oh yeah, of course you just need this older one. And I was like, I wasted hours trying to figure <laughs> out why this thing didn't work. <laughs> and you could have yeah. told me that or just put a note in the code. <laughs> So it's it's like so much has changed since then, and in a good way. Things are way easier. It's weird. And Rails was the infinitely easier thing at the time than everything yeah. else, yeah. right? So so it's we again going back to is uh, the keynote last year on conceptual compression. It was so much easier to use Rails fourteen years ago or thirteen years ago than it was almost everything else for web. Um, and but comparing Rails then, just the ecosystem to Rails now. It is if you need something up on the web and in five minutes, um, you can do it, right? It's just crazy. So Yeah, it's it's come a long, long ways.
Awesome. Well, Chris, have I have I missed anything? Is there anything else I need to cover? I feel like we've had a really nice little chat about uh, kind of the state of Rails and where it's been and where it's come and, and RailsConf, but I'm just trying to make sure I don't have any glowing things that I've missed. No, I don't think so. Um, I had a lot of fun at RailsConf. Um, I definitely plan on going back next year, but also be at uh, Southeast Ruby for sure this year and hopefully uh, RubyConf as well. Definitely. Both in Nashville. But, I, you know, I want to go to more conferences, but when you're paying, you know, out of pocket, it just kind of adds up pretty fast. So, um, and we've kind of lost a few of those little regional conferences. There was ones, Ruby Midwest, where I used to go to in Kansas City. That was a real favorite of mine. Um, but yeah, uh, it, like the community is still really going strong and you can tell that from the the conference and I know when DHH or Evan Phoenix, someone early on uh, during the first keynote asked like, who, who is this their first rails conf? And it was like half the people in the room. So really? that's like a really good sign, you know, wow. and I've only been to one before. Um, but, and I've been to a bunch of little ones, the regional ones, but it was just such a good sign to see all of these new people at RailsConf for the first time. So it's a good sign. That is amazing. I got to tell you, that paired with some of the tweets I've seen with Ruby Kaigi the week before, I think, gosh, it's there's never really been a better time to be a part of this wonderful community. I agree. I agree. All right. Well, uh, Chris, the I guess the only other thing is I gave a nod at the beginning, but where can our listeners find you on the interwebs? So I am um, exit three exceid three on Twitter. Um, that's also my .com domain, or you can find GoRails.com. Um, I'm on GitHub as the same username. Pretty much everywhere is that same username. Um, but yeah, primarily you know doing stuff on GoRails.com these days, doing screencasts and building you know random little features, and hopefully contributing a bit more back to Rails these days. So yeah. Well, Chris, it's been a pleasure having you. Thank you so much. And I do got to say, uh, definitely check out GoRails. It's one of those things I expect everyone knows about, but we had a Rubyist in my county the other day or someone who is relatively new and and saying, you know, where, where can I go to kind of level up? And someone posted GoRails and someone else who'd been in Ruby quite a while was like, oh, what's that? Oh, that's amazing. So if you have not gone <laughs> to GoRails, I just assume everybody, you know those things, like you assume everyone knows it. So... Go check it out. It's it's really awesome. I and, appreciate uh, that. And awesome. thanks for having me.